Welcome to room 4216. I'm so glad you've come. Hello, Pastor Dave. How Hi, are you? Hi, Cecilia. I'm doing well. And how about yourself? I am doing great, especially Good. since we're back here in room 4216 yeah. with our friends again. Yeah. And speaking of friends, yeah. I was talking to my friends, Carrie and Brent, the other day. Mm-hmm. And they had been talking to a friend of theirs who had some questions about the Bible. Okay. She was asking things like, why are there some verses taken out of the Bible? Okay. I said, I said there are? Mm-hmm. So I had to go look myself. And in doing so, I found some other questions. Ah, For okay. instance... By the way, uh, uh, in particular, that is the NIV translation where these verses are out. Sometimes they're not out of others. But yes, but I just I, want to quantify that. But okay. I noticed that there were also taken out of several other translations mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I looked at. Oh, yeah, at. yeah. Um, then, uh, in researching that, and I wondered uh, why this one particular source said that there is one and only one authorized version of the Bible, and if we don't read that one, then we're reading the wrong version of the Bible, and we're in trouble. You know, I'm seeing a simple thread weaving through here. Oh? Yeah. And I I think we better maybe break the thread. Oh, dear. Yeah, stop studying. What? Well, Cecilia, the questions you've raised all stem back to one key thing called the Textus Receptus. Okay. Not meaning like in Texas you receive, but the text, the commonly received text, Textus Receptus. It's a Latin word. Okay. Irenaeus made this... uh, Irenaeus? uh Uh-huh. I think you mean Erasmus, don't you? Sure, that's who I mean, Erasmus. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. Well, Irenaeus was an ancient father, church, early church father. I, I, I get them confused uh-huh. sometimes. I get Jack and Jill confused too. They, they were the ones. They that both went, went up, up the, the hill, hill and, and yeah. But they both came tumbling down after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, anyway, so who who is this guy again? Erasmus. Thank you. Uh, around in the 1500s, contemporary of a lot of the reformers, he was a scholar. He loved studying, and he pulled together um, a Latin version. And he was really looking to do the Latin, but to make sure everyone would go, whoa, you got the best Latin version here, he also showed by which Greek manuscripts, he was making this Latin version, the Vulgate. And this is because the Roman Catholic Church at this time did everything in Latin. Mm -hmm. And so Latin was extremely important. It was really the universal language in church throughout the world. And he was also, this was the time when uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the English Church, that is the Anglican Church, were splitting, correct? Mm -hmm. And so he was uh working with uh he was working in the uh, uh Anglican church was he not you know I'm not even sure I'm not even sure all I know is he really worked hard to make this wonderful vulgate and um vulgate is is the the latin translation of the bible 
um, and he was updating it from Jerome's time of year 600. Wow. His Greek manuscripts came from uh, the 4th century. That's okay. the 300s. And from that then, everybody made these translations, including what was considered the King James translation. Okay. So why don't you tell us just a brief a little bit about the King James, then I'll come back to my story. Sure. Uh, King James, by the King James, we're talking about the King of Scotland, England, and Ireland. He was the King James the first of England, King James the sixth of Scotland, and he followed in, uh, Elizabeth the Great, didn't he? Elizabeth the first, yes. Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, in his time, there was a translation made from the Textus Receptus into English. And uh, let me modify Textus Receptus and the Greek manuscripts that were backing that up. Okay, they used both of them. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Go on. Now, the King James Version of the Bible is in some places called the Authorized King James Version of the Bible. But, in truth, we don't know if it was actually authorized by King James or not, because there was a fire in 1619 which destroyed all the important papers from 1600 to 1613. So we can certainly say it was attributed to this time frame, maybe even to James who said... Make me an English translation. But we don't know. Yeah. He didn't translate it himself. Several there translations were did. many other translations right at this time besides the English. Luther had done a little bit earlier the German, and there was a Spanish and, and French. All of these were done from the Textus Receptus, conglomeration of the Latin and the Greek. Okay? And with that, then... Um, this was the best manuscripts they had at the time to make the translation, and they did a marvelous job. And um, who was the guy again? Erasmus? Erasmus. He was a fantastic scholar and research studying and making the translations and bringing forth the best of that day. And that's what brought us the King James of today. Now, let's take an example um, the, the modern translations, there are several out there that don't have verses that are in the King James. The one, the simple one that we pulled up here is from Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 37. And I think you have that, Cecilia, right? I do. And we're going to be reading from what translation here? The Revised Standard Version, uh, copyright 1952. And this was immediately f uh, the, one of the first American translations. Uh, King James had been used completely up until this time. Mm -hmm. This was, by the way, and I'm going to come back to the American Bible Society. It was uh, um, uh, manufactured and, and done by their project. Okay. Okay. The reason why we are reading from the Revised Standard Version is because the NIV that we're using doesn't even mention, it probably mentions it in a footnote in the print edition, but we don't have that footnote. So nope, nope. that's why we're reading from this one. And it is in the Braille edition. This is uh, from the um, years ago. I've just had it on my bookshelf and pulled it down and bingo. It's a beautiful copy of this. Okay, so this is where uh, Philip is talking to the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's just told him about Jesus. And the, they come to some water, they're traveling through the desert, and they, they come to some water, and the eunuch says, is there any reason why I can't be baptized? So, if you read in the NIV, you see verse 36, you read verse 36, and then you see verse 38. Um, 
other translations, they literally go the numbering 3638. They've, they've left that because the King James was the standard from 1600s to, to 1952, and they didn't want to change the numbering. So they just dropped the verse. So now read 37. Okay. Uh, the footnote here says, Some ancient authorities add all or most of verse 37. And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may, that is, you may be baptized. And he, that is the eunuch, said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, this is a great verse. There's nothing wrong with it. No, but if you look in other spots, you'll find it's almost a quote from Romans 10.9, and, and there's several others. And um, now I want to go back to what I had said. The Textus Receptus, along with its Greek, trans, its Greek foundation, the Greek foundation dates back to about the 4th century. Mm -hmm. Since then, we have manuscripts that go closer to the time of Jesus, like the, uh, well, around the year 100 to 135. Okay, remember that, that when we uh, count from uh, Jesus' time, we count from uh, B.C., which is... You Before know, Christ. Yeah, and then it starts counting upward from the year... His birth. One or whatever. Adonania, A.D. Okay. Mm -hmm. So... 135 is about 100 years after Jesus. And we have manuscripts that date all the way back there. And where the Texas Receptus and its Greek foundation go to the year 300 and, uh, let's just say 330. It's uh, 4th century is the best I could find. Mm -hmm. um, so 200 years later. And it's somewhere in those 200 years, this verse 37 was added by somebody. Could have been a scribe. So what we're doing with the newer translations, like the NIV, is going back closer to the time of Jesus, closer to the time of the actual first translation, which is in the Greek. And that's why um, they decided, like in the New International Version, not to add 37, because the older manuscripts... More as we feel closer to Jesus, not feel closer to Jesus, it is closer to Jesus, and we believe are more accurate, don't have that verse. Well, thank you, Pastor Dave, for... Uh Clearing that up a, a, a little. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a challenging item. It really depend, It really comes down to uh, the newer translations have uh, a, a, a Greek manuscript that goes further back in time. That's why they're omitting some of these things. Are those like uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls? or Is that some of what that is? Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls deal with the Old Testament, but yes, that is correct. Oh, um, the Dead okay. Sea Scrolls date back to 200 years before Jesus, uh, and they deal with the Old Testament. When they were discovered, they uh, moved back a thousand years. Uh, prior to that, we had um, uh, Hebrew manuscripts only dating to about 800 A.D., 
but these made it way back, and it's amazing when they're compared. A thousand years different, they're almost absolutely identical. It is astounding. Really? And here's why. It's God's Word. And I'm going to say this a couple times as we go through this discussion. It's God's Word, and we can trust it, which... Yeah, you and the preface of all of this as we got our notes ready together go, well, how did you say it? What, what translation do I do? And can I trust them all or something like that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, which translation is the right translation? All of them are God's word. All of them are God's word. And here, I had a professor. His name was Lewis Brighton. I'll name him. He'd probably smile at that. He loved Greek. He was a professor. No, I'm just sorry. He was a, a parish pastor for 25 years before he came to the seminary. And he came only because there was a severe shortage of professors that did Greek. Mm. He came, and but oh, was he knowledgeable. He actually uh, uh, wrote a commentary on the book of Revelations, believe it oh, or not. Oh, then he's got to be good if he can he, write a commentary on that. He would literally, he said he would have both the Greek and the Latin Vulgate sitting in his bathroom. So as he was sitting there, I'm sorry, he said this, as I was sitting there taking a crap, he'd be reading his Greek. I'm not kidding. Okay? Okay. He was the one who said, all translations are God's word. As long as they are translating. And that's really the key. Is it a paraphrase or is it a translation? And here's a, a simple example. Um, the King James, uh, in 1 Corinthians, a uh, familiar one, if I can speak of the tongues of men and of angels, but have not, what's the word? Love. Ah, but that's not the King James. That's a modern translation. It's you know not? King James says, charity. Oh. Charity. And all through chapter 13, it's charity is the word. And, 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 and these three remain, faith, hope, and charity. Know any gals named charity? Sure. That's where it came from. And at, in, in, in the day that uh, this was made, uh, 16, uh, what was it, 11? Yes. Um, charity meant a sacrifice. Huge sacrifice. Today, we think of just giving to the poor, to charity. You know, if you got some, you give it to them. That's not what the word, though, agape means. In the original Greek, agape means self-sacrificing giving. We translate it word love. <laughs> Actually, in the 21st century, I'm not sure that word is the right translation. This is the challenge of translations. It's making the words... Um, yeah, what am I saying? Not fit. Um, understandable. Understandable to convey what God is trying to say. Ah. Not what we think, but what God is trying to say. And so it, the translator has to know first the Greek and the Hebrew. And that's why the American Bible Society is so important. They use scholars, like the Revised Standard Version that you read from. Yes. That was done in 1952. That was the premier scholars around the country and world who put that together. And every year they're updating their, uh, the scholars who work on this so that they know the language. Not just Jesus is Greek, but then that's different than... Um, um, than um, uh, that's called Koine Greek, instead of the classical Greek uh, uh, when the Iliad and Odyssey were made, uh, 800 years before mm -hmm. that. And so they need to know all the forms of Greek so they can understand what that Greek word means then. Then they have to understand the modern language that you're trying to interpret it to. 
So you may like a translation, Cecilia, but you grew up in Missouri. Right. In St. Louis. Yes. But a person who grew up in Southern California or Texas, they might not understand that translation that you love and think is perfect, but they might go, what? I don't understand this. And they'll pull up one and go, I got this one. So the key is, it's a translation, it's God's Word that covers it all. Well, that answers the question about some verses being there and some not, and and uh, different translations. You from the south? It sounds like yep. you're from Texas, well, right? Well, you now. said you said that I, that I got I was you like, going. On. <laughs> I guess you must have. Yep. Because there's one thing I don't understand. Mm. What about some books that aren't there that and some books that are? Ah, the canon. Well, how do we yes. decide which one of the sixty-six books? Good. good well, question. I didn't decide. Well, neither did I. Here, here's how it was done. It's really kind of cool when you understand it. And, and first, it's a bird's eye view. If, if, if the Bible is God's word, wouldn't you think he would protect and guard and make sure it was guided to the ones he wanted? Yes. Okay, that's one of the premises we, we, we go with. And that's one of the... And, and really, behind a lot of things, there are some basic presuppositions. It's called hermeneutics. It's what you're going to do with. And one of them it is that God loves us, and he wants to save us, by, though we sinned. But by presuppositions, you mean some things that we just know or, or decide are true. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So God loves us. Mm-hmm. That is one presupposition. Yeah. It's a definition of part of who God is. God is love. Yes. He loves his creation. And if that is the case, then he would want to convey to us. So we trust God. We trust then he is going to make sure the word, the Bible, is what he wants. Here's how it happened throughout history. Um, about the year 150, Marcion... Um, not from Mars, not although it is M-A-R, I think it's C-I-A-N. Marcion was a heretic, and he was saying, oh, these are the books of the Bible, and, and he was really pushing a, 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 a dualistic type of world of knowledge versus material. Really kind of weird and funky. Yeah, I remember reading something about uh, that. Though it pops up here in the modern mm-hmm. world under different names. There's nothing new under the sun. Well, the church, that's part of the why the Apostles' Creed was made in the year 175, was to say, no, Marcion's wrong. Here is what God's word is. And they used some basic criteria, and it was finalized about the year 367, Athanasius, from the Athanasius Creed. He was another church father. Yes. He has the list of 66 books that we have. And what was said about that is there are basically four things that went into understanding what books should be and not in, God, in, in the Bible considered God's word. Number one, universal. That throughout the church, and the church had spread all over Asia Minor, into Europe, and, and down into Africa. It had to be everywhere, not just a little pocketbook here or there. Mm-hmm. Second was the content that it speaks about God, okay, His love, our salvation. Yeah, even the books 
of the, the first five books of the New Testament. They're talking about what Israel is doing, but all through it, it's talking about what God is doing with them, through them, right. about them. Right. Yeah. right. Third one is that it's inspired. There are some that even say, you know, it, it, this came from this man or that man. These books say God gave it. And it always kind of somehow loosely, if not specifically, as Second Peter, that it was inspired by God. And then the last one, this is especially for the New Testament, that is connected with the apostles, the twelve, mm-hmm. somehow, some way. And Paul. Of he course. was one of the apostles. He was one of the apostles born lately, as he said. He was the one to, so to speak, replace Judas. Mm. He even refers to himself as the apostle born late. Mm. Okay. And so that's why. And, and Luke, he wasn't an apostle, but he was connected with the apostles, you see. Yes, he was. He was hearing their stories. Mm-hmm. He was traveling with Paul. Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, he was related to Peter. Mm-hmm. He sat at Peter's feet. So it isn't necessary that Peter wrote it. But Mark got it from Peter. So there's that connection with that first century, first-hand look at Jesus. Okay, so sum up, sum up those four things again, please. Universally used. Okay, used by the whole church. Yep. The content. Has to speak uh, about God. Mm-hmm. Inspired. It's uh, given by God. And, and it re- referenced it somehow, some way, not by person. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then... Connected to the apostles. Apostolic is usually the word we use. So there are some books then in the um, between the Old and New Testament mm-hmm. that uh, some versions of the Bible put in that are good, but they're not necessarily. Oh, there's a whole inspired. bunch of them, and we call them the Apocrypha and Pseudopigrapha. And we did talk about this in Lesson 1, I believe, at greater length. Uh, just a bit. Um, and the same with the New Testament. There are some books that didn't make it in. Uh, the Shepherd of Hermes. Um, hmm. The uh, Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of... Uh, now see, the Gospel of Thomas is a perfect example. The content didn't fit that Jesus is the Savior. And, and so... Um, and it didn't speak of that basic thing. It was uh, so that that's why it didn't make it. Shepherd of Hermes, by the way, was, was loved in one segment, but it wasn't universal. Mm. So it had to be these four things. And this way, it doesn't say these other things. Some of them aren't good, healthy for for Christian faith, but inspired by God. These are the ones we count on. Well, we've taken some big excurses here that are, are, are I think, are worthwhile for for uh, our readers and 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 us to talk about once again. Translations can be important. It's especially important to know that it's a translation and to know what that translation means. And that's why we sometimes use a couple translations. That's why we use commentaries to help bring it out. And that's what we do in Room Forty Two Sixteen. But so that this isn't just us talking, we've got to dig into God's Word in one spot. Mm-hmm. And I asked you to flip open to... Second Timothy, chapter 3. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is like his... Young pastor. Young pastor, yes. 
And he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be, equi- may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, there's t- two things I'd like to point out here. Those last two verses, all Scripture is, and this translation says... God-breathed. You know what the King James says? Inspired? Yeah. You know what the word inspire means? Uh, to fill with air? or to- Yes. Yeah. Most people go, ah, oh, I got an idea, uh, inspiration. But literally, the Greek word means to breathe in. And so here we have a translation that gives us a, a better idea. It, it, it's almost like if somebody all of a sudden it, it drowns. What do you do? You push the water out, and then you do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. You put your breath into them mm. so they can become alive. And that's what God does. He breathes into his word. It's alive. Because God breathed it into it, and he breathes into us. Isn't that cool? Yes. That's what translations can do, is help us to see the difference. And it doesn't matter whether you have a disability or not. If you're breathing, you are alive. Alive in Jesus. And that's why the last verse, which says again, So that... So that the man of God Mm -hmm. may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. The purpose of God's word is to, as I mentioned, four things. Reprove, correct, teach, and, and... So that we might be equipped to do good works. One of those good things is to be saved. But there's more than that. Every good work. Doesn't matter if you have a disability or you think you're fully fine. We all have things by God to do. Thanks for coming to Room 4216 today. If you'd like to write to us, please do so at info, I-N-F-O, at not-alone, N-O-T, dash A-L-O-N-E, dot net. And remember, we We are are not alone. I will lead you who are blind by the ways you have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide you. I will turn the darkness into light before you and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake you. Do come back again to room 4216. Credits. Our sincere thanks go to Terry Nord and Robert Vaughn for their interlude music.